0: Heritage Park Baptist Church. We make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Amen and amen and amen. Okay, if you have your Bibles today, we're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth. Feel free to go grab one. Uh, If you are a user of the Bible app, you can open up that app, find our live event. That's where we're going to go. So we're in this series called Unashamed. Kyle was. so kind as to kick it off last week. And what I want to do uh, for the next several weeks is just rally around this idea of living a life that is unashamed uh, in the worship that we offer to God and the witness that we offer to the world. And so uh, if you put a theme verse on it, I would guess if you've been around church, this would probably be the theme verse. It's Romans chapter one, verse 16. I would like to read this together. Can we do that? Ready? Like together, out loud together. Everybody ready? Okay. Because your participation earlier was maybe less than enthusiastic. This one we can get behind, okay? All right, you ready? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We're, we're rallying around that truth right there, that Jesus does things in us In the gospel, through the gospel, because of the gospel, and that causes us to live differently, to be transformed, to experience him and his grace in a profound and deep way. And that that changes us, it shifts us, it it, it conforms us to his image, and therefore we don't have to live lives that are ashamed of anything. Uh, There's two kind of ways that people typically approach shame. Um, uh, This happened yesterday. I was coming off the freeway down here on 528, I was coming off the freeway, freeway in the turn lane getting ready to turn left at Acro Sports. Everybody, you know where that is? Everybody with me? So uh, I'm sitting there. That light turns red. Uh, the the, the turn lane is red. The other light turns red. And it's not red for one second. It's red for like 10 seconds because there's been three vehicles already go through. And uh, this black Camaro with a kid on the phone um, comes blistering through the intersection from my way. Like it doesn't just run the red light. I mean, just like Completely disregards the red light. And the only problem with that is there was a silver F-150. So if you were in the silver F-150 or you got a kid who drives a black Camaro who came home and was really worried about his life, I'm going to say they almost had a meeting. Um, And that Camaro came through the light there and this truck was pulling out because he had a green light and it had been green for, I don't know, a year and a half. And and, uh, this kid finally looks up and sees like Whatever's on Insta is probably not as important as the F-150 that's right in front of me. And right as they're about to connect, this kid goes, swerves over into the right lane and then does what every normal person would do in that moment. Gets out, raises his hands and says, thank you, Jesus, that I am alive. I will put my phone down. I am so sorry for being such a knucklehead. No, that's not what happened. What happened with the black Camaro? (laughs) (laughs) Off they go as fast as they can possibly go, knowing that they're an idiot. Most of us are inclined to deal with shame exactly like that. Jesus is offering a better way a life that says, My life was a complete screw up. I had made a hash of my life, I have been in a wreck. I'm a nice guy, but I am a knucklehead. I am, boy. I am. I have made some dumb choices. Or, and you say, man. But I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's, it's the power of God in me to bring me, because I'm part of everyone, uh, to bring me to salvation for everyone who believes. And so instead of running from that moment, running from that shame, we get to stare it right in the face and then hear Jesus say, I got this, I got it. That's the life that we have been invited into, and it's the life that I want to uh, spend several weeks talking about in our worship and in our witness. Just one more clarifying comment here, uh, that when I talk about worship, I will most of the time be talking about it in a context like this, although it is true in multiple contexts um, outside of these four walls, okay? So I will make some maybe particular applications to our moments here, but it is true um, all over the place. So Matthew, excuse me, Mark chapter 14. Um, It was now two days, verse one, it was now two days before the Passover, the feast of unleavened bread, chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. Uh, For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman, and we know this from John chapter 12, this is Mary of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, that triad, that, those uh, sibling group, uh, this is Mary. A woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, of pure nard, very costly. She broke the flask and poured it over his head. They're just sitting there at dinner. Lady walks in with a perfume bottle. She doesn't like spin the top, she just cracks the thing open, capisce, and starts flowing over him. There were some uh, who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii. A denarii was a day's wage. So let's talk about a, a whole, whatever you make for your yearly salary, we're talking about that much. Everybody good? Got that? Frame of reference? Uh, they could have done this and given it to the poor. Uh, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing for me, or to me. For you always have the poor with you. Whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She's done what she could. She's anointed my body for, beforehand for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she's done will be told in memory of her. Um, So I want to talk about unashamed worship. I will say this, that her worship in that moment with the perfume bottle and the whole thing at dinner was a declaration of her faith that Jesus is the Messiah. That's going to be really important here in just a second. I just want to hold on to that for this this moment. Her declaration, her worship was a declaration of her faith that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, if you and I are going to live lives um, of unashamed worship and be unashamed in our worship, not only in this room, but in all the other contexts in which we worship, and I'm not just talking about singing, where we offer our praise to God, whatever that looks like. Uh, I just want to point out three words, I think, that uh, it's kind of jump out of the text to me. And the first word uh, is this. The first word is that unashamed worship is personal. Okay? And when we say that, it is the personal worship of the personal God. Okay? So what does what I mean by that? This is a very intimate moment here. Can you imagine sitting at dinner last night with your friends? You're sitting around there at some place, uh, and this person that you kind of know and walks up, cracks a uh, uh, thing of perfume over your guests and you just spills and you're like, this is the strangest thing that has ever happened at dinner. And that's saying something in light of my in-laws. I mean, like they're just sitting there and you got that. And this happens. It is a very intimate, personal moment. I say that to say that there are no observers in worship, only participants, unashamed worship is personal and it is just- personal worship. Why? Because you and I, we have to lean forward. We have to engage. We kind of have to do this thing where we go, Hey God, we're here for you. We're here for you. Not for the people around us, not for the songs, not for the preacher, not for, uh, to just check off Sunday or what we're here for you. We have to engage personally. We have to re- uh, jump into this as an individual, even as we're doing all of this collectively. We, there's a personal worship. Um, this sense of things that, that, that you and I recognize that worship is a participatory moment, it's a participor- participatory event, distinguishes between whether or not we come to evaluate or we come to engage. Oh well, I didn't really like that song. Oh man, I can't believe he's wearing the Mister Rogers sweater vest again, thing or wh- whatever the. Don't hate. Don't hate. Evaluate or engage. I'm not here for anybody that doesn't wear the crown. I'm not here for anybody who doesn't have nail piercings in hands and feet. I am here for him. It it distinguishes between whether we came to evaluate, whether we came to engage, or whether we came uh, with expectations or whether we came with anticipation. And church family, I just say personal worship for all of us. I would just say, Ben, my consistent prayer is that we come with a sense of anticipation. What will God do today? What will he do today? Personal worship of the personal God. I say that to say, because we get all sorts of pressure and all sorts of um, things moving around us on the outside. and Voices that um, chirp in and and chime in on these things. Um, Jesus is not who we want him to be. He's not who we wish he was, and he's not who we say that he is. He is who he is. If Mary is going to come and worship Jesus, in that moment right there, she worships this Jesus who's in front of her. I put that in perspective to say this. Um, if you back up to verse 1, because this story happens in a context. Mark, uh, the, the, the writer of the gospel, has these throughout his, his gospel where he does, a, he does a little bitty blurb. He does a story and then he does a little bitty blurb. In this particular case, he talks about the Pharisees and the the scribes um, trying to uh, arrest him by stealth and then kill him. And then if you'll skip down to verse 10, Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, went to the chief priests in order to betray him. They heard it. They were glad, promised to give him money. He sought an opportunity to betray him. So we've got this little blurb about bad guys wanting Jesus and this little blurb about bad guys wanting Jesus. And here we've got this beautiful picture of worship. I'm saying that to say this. There is a really clear message when you string those 11 verses together that goes like this. Will we worship that? People came up with a kind of Messiah who would ride in on a white horse and just clear the Romans out and do all those kinds of things. You and I have different pictures of God too. But the, the God that Jesus uh, excuse, that Jesus is and that Mary worshiped in that moment was the Messiah who was going to the cross. Will you worship that Messiah? Not the Messiah we wish was. Not the Messiah we think should be. Not the Messiah that our friend told us about or that we declare, but the Messiah who is. Will you worship the Messiah who is? In our day, maybe it's not a Messiah like that, uh, but but maybe it's a, a God who um, who says, "Don't judge, lest you be judged," because God is love. No, let me ask you: Did God say those things? Absolutely, he did. Did Jesus say, don't judge? Yes, Matthew chapter seven. Did, uh, did uh, the Bible t- teach us that God is left? Absolutely, 1 John chapter four. And, but the problem is people put that in a very closed box and that's all that they know about God. They forget about a God who can speak to them about their morality or about their anger or about their other stuff and really challenge them on those things. They don't have a God who can push them on those things because they want to justify their own sin and their own appetites by saying, eh, well, just move, just, God's a God of love don't judge me, don't judge me. There will come a point where God will judge everybody. Let's be clear about that. And secondly, there are times even now when God says, I've seen evil, I know what it's like, and I'm not going to tolerate it anymore from this person. They're out. And he can use natural means, supernatural means, whatever means he wants to. But he doesn't tolerate that forever. He doesn't just put up with that. So those who live with the idea that there's a God in the universe who, who only says, don't judge me because God is a God of love, don't have a picture of the God who is. They have a picture of the God they wish was. Here's another one. Uh, the God who uh, is like the God of the American dream that makes everything better in your life. He's like the secret ingredient to your sauce. You know what I mean? Like everything always moves up and to the right. Your bank account. You, you never get fired. You only get promotions. And you never get sick. Actually, everything's great. You know, like you never whatever there that God gets proclaimed all of the time in the church in America and we've exported it to countries that don't need it. <laughs> and this again, I just, that's not the. does God love to bless his people? Absolutely. Does he bless us more when we are trustworthy with the things that He's? absolutely all of that's true. But there are times when it goes down and to the left instead of up into the right. There are times when the phone call comes and goes, hey, listen, I'm transitioning you out of this company to the next one. Or, listen, it's cancer or whatever. And God's people get to suffer well through that. And in doing so, the message of the sufficiency of God and the sufficiency of his grace and the good news of Jesus gets amplified. It doesn't get muffled. It gets amplified. The third one, I'm about to make a, uh, what is going to seem like a political statement. I promise you it is not political. It is theological The third one that I have bumped into recently is a Jesus who gets dressed up in an American flag. I literally Googled last night, Jesus in an American flag. There are memes everywhere. I'll say it this way. Jesus wears a crown, not a flag. He is the king over all of it. Every bit of it. Not the God who we wish was, think is, um, say is, but the God who is. Personal worship of the personal God. Okay, if our worship is going to be unashamed, it has to be personal. You and I have to lean in. We personally have to lean in, and we have to do so. We have to do so to the God who is and has revealed himself to us. So a second word, extravagant. I love this part. Verse, uh, at the end of verse three here, He's reclining the table. Woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, of pure nard, very costly. She broke the flask and poured it over his head. She, I mean, just it is such a powerful, powerful picture of that. And Mary, as I said earlier, we learned that this is Mary. Mary had experienced some of this. I mean, like she had a pretty good helping dose of Jesus. In Luke chapter 10, we find Mary and Martha. Martha's in the kitchen cooking. And uh, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha's like, uh, hello, I could use some help with the dishes in here. And Jesus is like, hey, listen, there are important things like dishes. And then there are important things. And Mary has chosen the most important. Be like her. Then Mary and Martha uh, have a... a profound miracle experience with jesus their brother lazarus died and uh, uh jesus comes four days later steps onto the scene they're like hey listen had you been here he's like i'm the resurrection and the life lazarus come f-. and he always says it in a deep voice in my mind is everybody with me on that like he's like hey lazarus he's like lazarus come forth this dead dude gets up walks out of the tomb it's like ah oh, these grave clothes hey get them off I mean, Mary has seen some amazing things when it comes to Jesus and His work. She has experienced His grace. And this is the principle that I would say to you, and we're probably going to say it every week. Those who experience grace deeply express their passion loudly. Those who experience grace deeply, those who have soaked it in, who it has come into their life and it is now working its way down to the molecules of their lives. Those who have experienced grace deeply, they, it ex, they express their passion about that loudly. I will say this to you, as we live into this, I will say this to you. Number one, it will make others uncomfortable. This is what happens. There were some who said it themselves indignantly. Why was the ointment wasted like that? I, I love it. Wasted? Wasted? When is our worship ever wasted? When it's on the wrong God. That's the only time. Wasted like that. This ointment could have been sold and so forth. It, they scolded her. It will make others uncomfortable. It will make others uncomfortable. I, I'm not talking about being annoying. I'm talking about just because of the passion that comes out of you. Uh, you, you it, it just makes people uncomfortable. There should, may it be true of us that we have so tasted of the grace of God that when it comes out of us, people are like, what is that? Uh, four weeks ago, uh, I went up to Waco to do a funeral. Um some of you were here when he, they were here last in summer. Uh, my pastor, I consider him my pastor, Barry and his wife, Martha. Martha stepped gloriously into eternity um, and has no wheelchair anymore. No problem. None of that stuff. She stepped gloriously into eternity. Barry called me. He said, Hey, I want you to do the funeral. I'm like, Okay, I'll do it. So I go up there. There's 500 people who have filled the worship center where we were, all come to celebrate. We sing these old 90s songs, like the 25-year-old worship songs that she just loved. And so she's just, uh, the whole group, and it's like you know, a relatively older group of people. There's 500 of them, and they're just honking on them. They stand up and they sing like they believe these things to be true. One of the songs that we sang, um, was the old hill song, uh, song, Shout to the Lord. You remember this? Or shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to our king. Mountains bow down, the seas will roar at the sound of your name. So we get through the verse and the chorus, and everybody's just kind of singing along. I mean, it's loud, but it's... And then, you know, I, if you remember the song... Ha- it, it builds, and so they go back and they do the verse again. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there's none like you. And uh, then they come to the chorus: shout to the Lord. And you know, people, the music is building. People are singing: like, shout to the Lord. All the, earth. I'm sitting on the front row. There's a dude ten rows back, hands extended, eyes closed, and he, he just he just takes that literally. While people are singing, I mean, just just honking it off. He goes. Yes, God, you are good. Even in the midst of our grief, you are still good. You are our light in our darkness. You are good. We have hope today, and we grieve today, but we are not without hope because you, Jesus, have beaten death. You have risen from the dead, and we glorify you in this. I mean, he's just going at it 10 rows back, louder than what I just did because I didn't want to blow your ears out. There were people on the other side who were like, what's going on over there? It's a big room. They're like, what? He's just ripping it. Why? Because those who experience grace deeply express their passion loudly. And, yeah, I mean, you kind of go, hey, man, what's? Here's the here's the great thing about this, though. He wasn't doing it for anybody else. I, I promise you he was not. It, it made a few uncomfortable, but it made the preacher on the front row encouraged. It will make some people uncomfortable. Sorry, they get invited into something bigger than themselves. Se- second thing, it will be, that will be true is that it, it will absolutely outlast you. Look down in verse nine. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed, where are we proclaiming the gospel today? Right here. Um, in the whole world, what she's done will be told in memory of her. Here we are doing exactly that. Here we are doing it. It will outlast you. Because not only does worship form us and form those around us, but it, it outlasts us. The repercussions in the relationships that we have ripple for generations. So moms and dads, grandparents in here, uh, folks who don't necessarily have blood family here, but you're a part of our church family. Listen, how you engage God in these moments like this forms those around you, those who are watching you. How does your kid know how to worship by you sitting at the dinner table and go, okay, well, here's the four-step plan for worship. How do they know how to worship? They watch you worship. We don't have a prescribed way in here. Some of you are clappers. Some of you aren't. You can't figure out, is it one and three or two and four? Or How does that go? Like, right. so, some of you are hand raisers. Some of you aren't. Some of you grab coffee back there, and that's what you raise. Like you're in a bar. You're like, yes, Lord. that's just do Hey, man, we're good for that. We're good for that. You just raise a coffee cup to Jesus. That'd be great. Just raise it up. Be like, yes, yes, that is true. We're good for all of those things. But how do they learn how to worship? They watch us. They watch us. Or they see that we're bored out of our head and they don't learn. Or they equate, worse, they equate that those two things are worship. Being bored out of your mind. And we're, we we just don't want to be that people. But those who experience grace deeply express their passion loudly. The guy ten rows back from me, his name is Tom. Um Tom's married, he has two kids. Um uh his wife is so sweet, and they came up and gave me this huge hug. Oh, it's so good to see you. Thanks so much for coming out. Oh man, it's great to see you all too. Um Saw his daughter, talked to their family for a little bit. He has a son. Um, it, it, his name is Tom Johnson. He has a son named Jordan. If you've been around our church family, every so often this big bald guy comes down to lead worship for us uh, when Frank's not here, and you know what his name is Jordan Johnson. He's a worship pastor in Marble Falls. And every so often he comes down here to it ripples for generations. It long outlasts you. The the grace that Tom experienced was lived and expressed so loudly that his son caught the fire too. It's extravagant. Last word here is sacrificial and the phrase I Put with this is that it is costly, but it is not wasteful. It is costly, but it is never wasteful. Why? Because my declaration of faith in the worship that I offer to Jesus cannot, it will not, be defined or t- deterred by those who uh, who have an indignant response or those who are pretending. We just, we're not going to let those people define or deter my worship of Jesus. It is sacrificial. Back, back up to verse uh, three again at the uh, kind of the end of verse 3 came with an alabaster flask of ointment of nard very costly how much was it worth again 300 denarii about a year's salary everybody okay? so very costly this is what she's offering to Jesus a year's salary this is the part that got me she broke the flask she didn't open it what'd she do she broke it she broke the flask and poured it over his head why she didn't want one drop remaining sacrificial She not only used the the ointment there, the nard, the the perfume, but she used the flask also. And so um, she she had a willingness to break what was valuable to her and then offer that brokenness to Jesus. She took what was incredibly valuable to her and then broke it and then offered that brokenness to Jesus. That leads me to one of our questions here. Is there something in your life that you're so holding on to right now? It's very valuable to you. But Jesus may be, the worship that you offer Jesus very well may be, I'm going to break this and give this to Jesus. I'm going to offer this as worship to Jesus. Costly, but never wasteful. Never. In fact, Jesus says, that's that's a beautiful thing. Some of you think, no, 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 no. When we offer sacrifices to God, what are we doing? We're offering the perfect sacrifice. like, like we, not some no, 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 no. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for us. You and I bring what we can. That's what we do. We bring what we can. And what do we bring? We bring our brokenness to him. This is Psalm 51, verse 17. And some of you think, "Well, I can't bring brokenness. Oh, yes, you can. Listen. The sacrifices of God are what? A broken spirit? And a contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. It's precisely that, that you bring to God. And he doesn't despise. If some of us grew up, if you grew up around church, particularly like I did, like this would be a struggle for you, then I can't offer um, this. This is not about you being lazy. and That's not that. Um, We want to be excellent and offer excellence to him. This is not about... um, uh, trying to uh, uh, offer some imperfect sacrifice, what we're bringing to God is what we have. And what we have is our own brokenness. So we break things that are valuable in order to offer them to Jesus and we offer them to him. And so what, what happens here is this. Some of us think to ourselves, oh, I can't do that. Oh, no, 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 you can. In fact, it's with these sacrifices that Jesus is pleased. We're sitting on a beach um, two and a half or so years ago, something like that. Um, I've got my littlest one in my lap and we're right at the edge of the water where the waves are kind of washing up and they're, they're bringing shells up and we're, you know, shell collecting as we just kind of sit there and we talk and watch the waves and all that kind of stuff. So she keeps picking up shells. She picks up one. And she's like, this one's pretty. Hold on to this one. This is pretty. Hold on to this. I just noticed, I'm like, honey, all of these shells that you keep picking up are broken. Like, I don't mean like a little bit broken. I mean, like Look, it's the letter L. You're like, what? You know, this is not how a shell is supposed to look. You go through the whole thing, right? Oh, but I like it, Daddy. I think it's pretty. I just, okay, babe. So I go, we get off the beach, pocket full of broken shells. We go up, get them all cleaned off, get ourselves all cleaned off. Um, go to dinner, bed, the whole thing. Laying in bed that night. Anybody have this experience uh, where you finally get quiet enough that the Holy Spirit speaks? So I'm laying in bed that night. Everybody else is asleep. Get that tap on the shoulder. Hello. Yes. I like broken things too. I think they're beautiful. Yes. Jesus says to you, I like broken things. I think they're beautiful. So you just offer whatever you have to him. Last thing I'll say is simply this. Some of you may this morning need to experience the brokenness that Jesus took on for you before you go offering anything to him. context here is, I mean, Mark chapter 14, you know what comes right after Mark 14? Mark 15. Yeah, you know what happens in Mark 15? Jesus is crucified. So the, the context is, is that Jesus, listen, takes on. In, in Mark chapter 15, he takes on, he goes to the cross and he takes on our sin, bearing it in a way that we could not. He dies in our place and for our sins. He takes on our shame. He takes on our brokenness, allowing his body to be broken so that you and I could be made whole. Some of you in the room today, before you go trying to offer anything to him, may need to receive from him that Jesus himself became broken on our behalf. And that is profound grace to you and to me. You don't have to put yourself together. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to do any of those things. You receive the amazing grace of a God who is, who is, and a God who's willing to be broken on your behalf in order that you could be made whole.